Thank you so much, Edmund. Beautifully read. This is going to be an evening for keeping your mobile phones out, because um, I would love you all if you have a Bible app on your phone to open that now and jump to Psalm 1. That's a beautiful psalm that Edmund just read. If you would like a paper copy, Bill's standing at the back. I'm sure he'd be willing to uh, grab you a Bible. So if you just stick your hand up in the air, he can bring you one. We're going to be going through this this awesome psalm that I was reminded of before the service was actually one of the, the, um, the psalms that helped shape the, the vision for this whole six service, an important bit of scripture. And it's a wonderful psalm as, um, that we're going to sort of go through and unpack a little bit tonight. But just to ground us, uh, Holly, I was going to say, and Mark, Holly and Dom at the start reminded us that we were... We're in uh, this series at the moment called Framework for Freedom, where we're looking at this idea of building a a rule of life. And if you were here last week, Catherine spoke, didn't she, about how we could liken um, this to being a trellis. Our word rule comes from a Greek word trellis, and that's a beautiful trellis there. And the thing about trellis is they help plants grow strong and be all that they can be. If you go into somebody's garden and they've got a plant growing on a trellis, you don't walk up and you go, oh, that's a beautiful trellis. You go, oh, that's a lovely plant. Or, well, you might do if you like flowers anyway. But the idea behind this is these things we we do in in, in our life, some of the things that might not always be seen, but rules and priorities that we have that would help us grow strong and deep with big branches and bear much fruit. And tonight we're looking, if you've got really good eyesight, you might be able to read the bottom three on there, which is Bible, prayer, and Sabbath. And, and these, are, these are the ones that I think are kind of like the, the stems that, um, uh, or the struts of the trellis. These are the ones that keep us rooted and grounded and give the trellis strength to be able to support us. So as I said, do keep your um, Bibles open because we're going to go through this psalm together. Psalms are awesome. No matter how you're feeling in life, there's always going to be a psalm for you that can draw you into the presence of God and help you turn your eyes upward. But let me pray before I go any further. Lord, as we look at this awesome psalm tonight, from your inspired word, our Bible, we ask that you would inspire us by the truth that is in it. Speak to us tonight, Lord, and help transform us even more into your likeness and with a hunger, Lord, to know you more deeply. Amen. So let's dive in. Do keep uh, the psalm open. As I said, one of the first things you might notice as it was read to us a few moments ago by Edmund, or if you've ever read it before, is there are only two types of people described in this psalm. There's the righteous and the wicked. And there doesn't seem to be anybody in between that's addressed. And we might think, oh, well, that's, that's a bit weird because we all know that, that life's a lot more complicated than just being good people and bad people because... If you're anything like me, I can do some good stuff, but I can also do some quite bad stuff as well. We're all a bit stuck in the middle. But what I want you to notice about what the psalm says in here is he doesn't say there's good and bad, but he says there's people that are blessed and the wicked. And there's something I just want to explore about what is the difference between the two of them, because those that are blessed, the psalm does not say are perfect 
people at all. But there's something about them they do that the wicked don't. What do the wicked do? Let's have a look at this. We have the next line up. So it says, blessed is the one who does not. And this is really what the wicked do. The people that are addressed just as wicked later on. They do three things. And I think it's like almost in a starting off at the shallow end of a pool and then going deeper. The first thing they do is they, stand, they walk in step with the wicked. The message translation, if you've ever read the message translation, I love what it does here. This is, talks about following in the ruts of others. Anyone ever been up Claygate um, Hill on that muddy road? The cars go up there and you have the ruts, don't you? And it's like walking in those really muddy ruts, the paths that people have walked before you, sort of blindly following where other people have walked. It's often said, I think, that uh, bad habits are easier to pick up than good ones. And I totally think that's true. Numerous examples I could have picked off, but the one that actually came to my mind was when I first started going to secondary school. Because my eyes were suddenly opened when I went to secondary school at the breadth of the English language in a not very good way. I grew up in a home uh, where my parents, at very least in front of me, didn't swear. And all of a sudden I learned and heard all these new words, and just to fit in, I just started blindly copying them and didn't really think about the consequences. But the next thing I did was what happens in the next line of this psalm. It got a bit deeper. You start blindly copying, but then it becomes part of your identity and who you are. You stand in the way of sinners. You're not just blindly following. You're actively copying and making it part of who you are. This blindly copying language became such a part of who I was that I would occasionally slip with my language at home. And my parents were not too impressed when I did. It became part of my identity. But then actually in this psalm, can we have the the verses up again, please. You stand in the way that sin has taken. And then finally, the worst thing is you sit in the company of mockers. This is about letting sin become such a part of your life that the people, you, you, you start gathering around and being friends with people that are like you. And you mock people. You look down, you tease people perhaps that don't use language like you to follow my example. You mock people that are different. It's a really silly example I've used, but I just want to pause here and and ask quite a deep question that's kind of related to what's going on in the world and actually what's going on and what this is saying at the moment. Is how do we know what is a rut that we're stuck in or something that's more wholesome and truthful. On social media this week, there were a number of posts that got shared millions and millions of times. So can we have the, one of the first images up, please, Sam? There was this 
image, and there was a short video that went alongside it. Racked up millions of views on Facebook, which is for older people, and Twitter, which is slightly for younger people as well. And it was shared as supposed uh, evidence that um, the civilian victims in Ukraine were really crisis actors being made by makeup artists and, and filmed, hired out. Because this is a scene from a Ukrainian town. But actually, let's have the next slide up. You might not be able to see this very clearly. It is from Ukraine, and it is actors, but it's actually from a TV series that was filmed in Ukraine back in December 2020 called Contamin. Millions of people viewed that. Now, we might know in our nation, in our country, that that seems a bit weird and wrong. But if you read that, how do you know whether that's truth or not? There was other videos as well, maybe slightly less so. There was one that was actually shot in Birmingham uh, that showed a load of people being direct, asked by a director to run and scream and film. They were saying that was also made up from Ukraine, but it's quite obvious it's not even in Ukraine. It's from a huge uh, square near the centre of the city of Birmingham. If you live somewhere that controls what you see and hear, how difficult is it to know what's true and what's not. We live in a nation here where we're really blessed, I think, to have a free press. But that doesn't mean we're not impervious to being misled because we live and we can hear lots of other things. We hear so many voices as well. Newspapers, don't worry if you don't know what they are, young ones. Newspapers, they all have, or most of them, have a political party bias. It's not always evident if you don't know. Even our beloved BBC has a charter, has um, ideals that it wants to promote in what it does. It's supposed to be um, neutral, isn't it? Or not show any bias in what it reports. How can you be neutral with God? Either you believe in God or you don't. So, Going back to our psalm, why does this impact us? Because what this psalm touches on, these two different peoples, is you have people that are just blindly following the world, but then you have the blessed people. And what do the blessed do? They are people who delight in the law of the Lord. It's verse two. Blessed are those who don't do this, but instead they delight in the law of the Lord. You can read in that God's word. You can read in that scripture. God's inspired words given to us. And so my first point is simply this. As Christians, we need to amplify God's voice in our life. To make it loud. To make it clear. These words that we're looking at in Psalm 1 are inspired by God, unchanged for thousands of years, always eternally true, in all circumstances, in all places, in all time. We have a God who loves us and cares for us and wants what's best for us and for his world. I firmly believe if Vladimir Putin had scripture in his hands and read it, and understood it and delighted in it, he would not have instructed his troops to do what they're doing 
right now. The psalmist paints this beautiful picture of somebody who delights in the law of the Lord as being like a tree planted by streams of water. Their leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. And why is that? Because something that's important to the text, because they have deep roots. They're going down and being fed continually by a stream of goodness that no matter what else is going on in the world around them, it's going to keep feeding them. You can imagine that tree, can't you? Strong and green, even in the driest of summers. It's never going to be blown over because it's drawing its health from that unchanging source of goodness. It's in direct contrast we hear to uh, the wicked who we're told are like the chaff. If you don't know what chaff is, it's like tiny sort of little bits of leaf or, or, or covering around the edge of seed, particular wheat. And what they used to do in biblical times is after they'd gathered all the, the wheat kernels in, they used to throw the seeds up in the air. And as the wind blew, it would literally, it would blow the chaff away because the chaff was so light and the seed would fall back down. The chaff went wherever the wind was blowing, whatever the conditions were, the chaff would just be blown away. One of the problems with following the way of the world and just going down ruts is you don't actually fully know what direction you're heading in. I found this out this week. This is quite interesting to me because I didn't know this. If you drop somebody in the middle of nowhere, say like in the Sahara Desert, and there's no landmarks around them, everyone will eventually end up walking in circles. Either because the vast majority of us either have one leg slightly longer than the other, or we have our, our left stride is slightly bigger than our right stride. If we have no external reference, people walk in circles, even if they think they're walking in a straight line. God's word, I believe, is, provides guidance and destination. If you're dropped in the middle of nowhere, you need a landmark to look at or a compass to give you direction. God's word is that. It reveals his love for us in Christ. That's unbreakable, and I've already said it will never change. It is wisdom in all circumstances. And that's why, and this is my second point, so we amplify God's voice. The psalmist goes on to say, that's why it's so important to listen to God's words. He said, blessed is the one, this is, continues in verse 2, who meditates on God's word day and night. One of the things I love for us all to think about in our rules of life that we're developing is about spending time with God daily. If you're miles away from that, build up to it. That word meditate, meditate on um, God's word day and night. I don't know if you, um, what comes to your mind when you think of meditate, but when I do, I often think of just sitting down and quietly thinking over or just it soaking into my mind. This word meditate, um, that's in, um, when it was, uh, this psalm is in, in Hebrew, the same word they use here is also a, a word that they can use for a, can we have the picture up, the next picture of a lion over its prey, as a lion meditates over its prey, that it's caught, and you can see, I love that picture of a lion just really tucking in and chewing whatever it is, it's, it's caught. Now, obviously, we don't want to destroy our Bibles, but you get the idea of actually really taking in, feasting on, delighting in, getting to grips with God's words and understanding it, protecting it, protecting that time from other people as well. 
One of the best prayers I think we can pray as we're reading God's word if we don't understand something is, Lord, maybe even, Lord, I don't get this, but I trust you. Will you help me understand it? There's so many different ways as well we can dive in to spending time in God's words. Can we go back one to the previous one? Um, There's so many different tools we can have. If you've all got a mobile phone, you can have um, apps on it. That's just a screenshot of my mobile phone of six apps that that are on there that you can use to help delve into God's word. Lecture 365 will take you through prayer and a Bible reading and a reflection each day. It's really, really good. There's a daily prayer app, the app we use when we gather for morning prayer online Monday to Friday with the church community. I won't do the next one, electionary. That's not actually that exciting. There's the Inner Room prayer app. It's just Bible, daily Bible readings that it gives you that you can look at. There's Inner Room, which is actually a prayer app where you can keep track of prayer requests and you can make tick notes on it. It's a really, really um, good app, that. The Simple Bible app, which actually you can do most of the other things that are on there, just in that one app, read the scripture. It's got Bible reading plans, everything. And there's a Bible in the Year app as well. You can do that in the Bible app, but it's just a separate app for it if you want it. You can even be old-fashioned, get out your old Bible, and just spend the time reading a chapter or two each, each day. My Bible that I have, that I use a lot, it has gaffer tape holding it together. Don't treat, I, I love people not to treat their Bible as something that's going to have to keep in an all pristine condition. But get your pen out, highlight, write in it what you think God's saying to you at that point. It's really easy to flick through and then go back to it later and remind yourself. And if one way gets dry as you're spending time with God, if you're doing it this way, you think, oh, this is getting really difficult, then just flip and do a different way. Suddenly, you know, if you're doing it, an old-fashioned way, then suddenly flip to a Bible reading plan on your phone. Change how you're doing it. Mix it up. God loves us when we're going to be protective over our time with him and hear him. And I guarantee as we do that, it changes the way we see things in the world. It guides us down good paths. It helps us get out of ruts and see truth more easily in the world. It helps us love our friends, our neighbours, and even those that we don't like or perhaps hate. Final thing I want to talk about from this psalm, and it's this little phrase in verse 3 that says this, a tree bears its fruit in season. And I think what this sort of image is bearing at is God does not expect us to be people that bear fruit, i.e. work, all the time. We're in a world, chatting with somebody a few moments ago, we just like to be, the world just seems quite busy and we can seem quite busy all the time. But God wants us to be a people that get into a rhythm of being still before him. I think we should do it daily, but I also think God instructs us to be people that rest. The Bible asks us to get into a rhythm of six days of working and have one day of rest, a Sabbath. Jesus himself 
reminded us, or reminded, because um, it's very easy to get quite legalistic about this. The Pharisees did it. And they put all these rules about what was work and what was rest and what you weren't allowed to do. For the Sabbath became this really oppressive, burdensome thing for the people. They even had to count their steps on their day of rest so they didn't go over a certain number of steps. Because you went over a certain number of steps, it suddenly went from going on a nice walk to being work. And that was a bad thing. That's not what God wants us to think about on Sabbath uh, days. But what Sabbath days are, I think is our time for us where we should prioritize community worship also times for you to take a break from what you normally do and find enjoyment in God's world, to rest in the goodness of perhaps relationships or things that fill you up with him, if you can. To stop, take a rest, soak up more of God's goodness so you're able in season to bear fruit again. As I wrap up, I want to go back to that idea of talking about this, running through this whole psalm about the two different types of people. And I want to remind us that I'm encouraging us to spend time in God's word, but this is not something we do to um, get right with God. It's something we do because of what God has done for us because we're people that have put trust in God. I want to read you a couple of verses from 1 John there from chapter 4. It says this, uh, verse 15, anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. We're united with God through what we believe and trust. It's not through spending time in God's word, it's just through putting our trust in who Jesus is. But the next line, or the next verse, verse 16 says this, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. How do we rely on the love that God has for us? One of the important things we can do as we rely on that love is listen to God's voice, to amplify it, to make time for it, to pray to God, to talk to him about what's going on in our lives and to rest in his presence. As it says in the final verse of the psalm, the Lord will watch over us as we do it. Amen.